This is the SPFL 42 show, covering every division in Scotland. The first thing I kind of want to talk to you about um, for the piece is obviously you had a, a, a shot at management um, with Stenhouse Muir. How do you reflect upon that experience? <laughs> um, obviously, I had a lot of good times. Um, it was really good. Um, believe it or not, two days to the, the day, I've seen it on Twitter the day, but I managed to go to Pitaudry, get a 1 1 draw in the Scottish Cup. So um, it's a uh, very bittersweet. It was probably an experience that was maybe too soon for me. But it's something that I've, I've learned so much from. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great responsibility to be a manager. Um, you, you know you're, you're representing a lot of people and you're representing the players and everything else that goes with it. So it's, it may have been short at the time, but it's something that I'll definitely take with me in my experience in football and it's something that that I'm very proud of as well. The thing that I found fascinating about you with that situation was the fact that you had that experience of management, yet you were willing to go back down to junior football and play football week in, week out again, which which not a lot of people would be willing to do. Is that just simply your love for the game that, that made you want to go and, and play at a decent level while you could? Um, yes and no. It was a case that once... Um, Things had kind of broken down at Stenhouse Muir and I'd left the game for a bit. I, I planned on taking a break. I, I really did. I planned on um, just taking a wee seat away from it and going and enjoying games and seeing what happens. But all of a sudden my phone started ringing and I had, I had a few offers from a lot, in fact, three offers from League Two clubs at the time to go and play in League Two. And I just, I, I didn't want to go and play for a League Two team against Stenhouse Muir. Um, so when, obviously when the junior team started phoning as well, I spoke to the Hullford manager at the time um, and he understood where I came from and he understood everything that I kind of done. I tried to explain that I probably wasn't as fit as I was. Um, but it was it was just a, it was a good opportunity just to go and play and learn a different side. And I thought it would be good for me and my coaching experience, my manager experience, to go and see players and learn about new players at a junior level that I wasn't aware of. And it, it, it gave me an insight into that side of the game as well. And in terms of playing at the junior level, you were playing against your brother as well? I did, yes. I was lucky enough to play against him. Um, I think we, we, we came up directly against each other once last season and I managed to score. Um, and I managed to get booked for smashing him. So <laughs> it was... Uh, <laughs> it was enjoyable considering that we've both been involved in football since we were kids um, the fact that I got to the age of 38 and it was the first time I actually played against him um, it was good for everybody he's, he's now got me back because they've beat us the last couple of games but um, I managed to score the last time as well so I've scored a couple against him but it was a really good experience because my mate was the best man. My, my best mate's a manager at Claybank as well so the fact that I got to play against my best mate and my brother was, it was enjoyable. Actually, uh, Gordon Moffat, somebody I've interviewed and I uh, keep in touch with, he's a lovely guy. He's a great guy. Um, I, I spoke to him when I got the Finney job about, about coming in to help me and be part of the coaching staff. Um, but he, 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 wanted, he wanted to go down his own route, which is completely understandable. Um, he wanted to be a manager himself. 
he was at Rossville at the time. And um, what, what can I say? He's doing really well. And I hope it really works out for him because he's, he, he's the biggest thinker of the game that I've met. He really goes very deep, goes very tactical and very analytical about the game. Um, and I wish he'd give me help me at the time. But at the, at the same time, I understand why he stayed where he was because he wants to make his own mark in the game. In terms of yourself as, as a young kid, you, you obviously grew up, played football in Scotland, but you get a move down to, to Newcastle United. How did that come about and how proud are you looking back at that? I'm, I'm more proud now than I was at the time because at the time I was just, just a daft boy playing football in Dumfries with my pals. Obviously, I was lucky enough to get picked up with a bit. The biggest team in that kind of area, apart from Queen of the South, was to go and play East of Scotland with Annan. So he go and play with Annan and jump into a team of... I don't think people realise just how tough it was at that stage. Um, it was a lot of senior pros. It was Chris Jarbin who'd been at Rangers. We had Kevin Proudfoot, Stan Leslie, boys that had been at Queen of the South. It was hard. And you were going to go and play against senior pros. Um, you've got James McDonough, who's manager at Edinburgh City. He was at Edinburgh City. At the time, uh, he was at Whitehill, Whitehill Welfare playing at the time. So it was full of, full of good pros. It's probably what the Lowland League is now. And to go in at 18 year old and do well was a real learning curve. And it wasn't to that point where my manager was David Irons who really pushed me to really try and be more professional. I had a really good season. And for some reason or other, it came about that Newcastle were interested in me. And I managed to, I come down three or four teams in Scotland um, because the opportunity to go to Newcastle was just far too big. What did you learn from your time at Newcastle? I've spoken to the Caldwell brothers and, and, and they said their time at the club was, was great from a, a perspective of letting them learn about the game and amongst the likes yeah. of Sir Bobby Robson and Graham Souness and whoever obviously was, was in and around at that time, Shearer of course. Yeah, well that's the thing, like, Gaz and Steve will probably know the eyes I learned just as much off them as I did off the senior pros. I joined, they'd came through the system, came through the academies and they'd worked with all the good coaches. I came through as a very raw professional that hadn't been senior in the game until I was 19. So to get my move to Annan to Newcastle, I looked up to, I didn't, I didn't want to be Alan Shearer. I wanted to be James Coppinger, who, as turns out, James, Copley's now had, what, Cops is nearly 20 years at Doncaster. And that's who I wanted to be. Don't get me wrong, training with Alan Shearer every day was great and the learning you got from it was unbelievable. But I just kept on looking at the person above me. And then I looked at Gary and I looked at Stephen, who were both getting called up by every Scotland team and going, do you know what, that's who I want to be like. So they'll probably never realise how much I looked up to them. Even though I was I was a wee bit younger than Stephen, I was younger, I was older than Gary, I looked up to these players. It was the same with Brian Kerr, another Scottish boy that was down there. I looked up to these guys to try and get to their level because obviously I wasn't as good as them, so I had to work hard and I had to do the right things. And the fact that I, I, I managed to train every day for two years with one of the best teams in England at, at that point, I, I do find myself really fortunate to have been in that position. And the things that I learned at Newcastle really did stand in good, good stead for the, for the rest of my career. 
what was Sir Bobby Robson like? I've, I've watched the documentaries and films on him and he just seems like such a, a genuine guy. Is that the way he was for you? Unbelievable. Um, he'd pull, pull you into the office every now and again, have a chat with you, tell you what, what you needed to do. He'd forget your name in training. He would call you by other names. But he would pull you in his office and talk to you about, your, about a game and something that he'd done in the 56th minute that could maybe have done that. Just, he's just enthusiasm. He'd be running about training in his 60s, running about the training pitch and telling you this and telling you that. And I've watched the documentary myself, obviously, and he kind of got away. I actually retweeted a thing the other day where he gives a, a team talk um, before they play somebody to, to get in the top four. Stephen Caldwell, Brian Kerr in that video, and I'm like, God, we, we were in that kind of environment on Newcastle were in third and fourth in the Premier League. And you sometimes take it for granted that you've worked with, like, if you're talking about Sir Bobby, it's, he's probably one of the greats in the world game, not just the, the British game. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned how much you learned from him, you learned from Newcastle. When Livingston mm. are interested, was it a case of, I need to go and play regular games and this is an opportunity that I can't turn down? At that point, it was a case of, like, well, we go, I go and get a club and I had the opportunity to go to Kilmarnock and I had the opportunity to go to Dundee United. However, Livingston had John Robertson and he put, I remember him picking me up at the train station in Edinburgh, driving me through to Livingston for training and as a striker myself, not to kind of have that ultimate respect for somebody like John Robertson, you've got to be a son wrong with you. And the fact that John Robertson knew who I was wanted to work with me and he was only a first team coach at the time I thought wow this is this is a really good opportunity for me to, to get better um, the fact that he worked with Alan Preston they worked really close together I kind of got a bond with them we had Jim Leishman and Davy Hayes co-manager at the time but it was the fact that John Robertson and Alan Preston were really keen on working with me they really made me go that direction and to be fair, it was probably the best move for me at the time because there were two top coaches working alongside two really motivational managers and they really did get the best out of us. What do you remember from scoring your, your first goal? It must be a special moment in your professional career. It's a great moment. It's I think it was the 26th of January. It's only a couple of weeks away. I've got a, a mug that my mum got me with the C-Fax. Young kids these days will not remember what that was, but the teletext and it's going on the side of the cup that this time I scored and all that and that's where I have my coffee in the morning. Um, some moment it'll live me forever. My my pop, who is my mum's dad, was brought up in Mary Hill. So my, to score my first goal in Mary Hill against Partick Thistle, um, with all my family there, it was probably one of the, the best moments in my football career. And it's a moment that'll live with me forever. I've still got my strip from that night. I've still got the picture of me celebrating well and Preston that night. And uh, the next morning I had a text with John Robertson slagging me off because I'd celebrated with biscuits and because John Robertson had obviously left to go to, I think it was in the rest of Ross County at the time. So um, a moment that'll live with me forever. And the fact, I think it was 17, 18 years ago, uh, really does make me feel old. <laughs> In terms of Livingston at that time, there was some really good uh, senior pros in around the club. Derek Lilly, I, I've spoken to. What was he like mm -hmm. with you? Because obviously he played in the Premier League. 
Yeah, listen, Dell came into the club and was the season that we won the League Cup that year, Dell was unstoppable. I think he scored 15, 20 goals for Livingston that year. He was absolutely brilliant. And I think a lot of people see Derek as a hard man because not a lot of people would mess with him. Very strong and powerful and aggressive. But off the part, very, very quiet, very, very chilled out. Took a lot of time with the young boys. Wouldn't really go many nights out. He would be the kind of guy at the back that top man. And as a striker, you didn't have to talk to you a lot because the coaches, especially Biscuits, Alan Preston, who got in your ear, watch Dell, watch Dell. So I used to study Dell and just watch how he went up against centre halves. And I used to say to Dell a lot, why you don't move in? He would say, listen, you should, if you move quickly, they're going to follow you. You need to stand still, stand still at that last second, budge against them, get your two yards that way. So he taught me a lot, Dell. And the fact, I think Dell got injured and it gave me the opportunity to have probably my best spell at Livingston when I scored five, six in a row in the league. Um, but it was all because of what I'd learned from him. One of the questions I've, I've got to ask you when you were at Livingston, um, you, you were a boyhood Celtic fan, you, you scored against uh-huh. Rangers, sum up what that meant to you? It was huge, I've been at Seville the year before, um, myself and the year after, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure Celtic were playing Villarreal, I'm sure it was the quarterfinals of the UEFA Cup again and everybody was talking about how Celtic were going to do that and the night we played Rangers, Celtic were playing Villarreal and it was an early kickoff, and I'll never forget the Rangers fans singing "All oh, the Beach Balls Have Burst," and we were one 0 down. And when you're at Livingston, we've, we didn't have a big crowd, so you'd sell out like two full stands for the old firm. So to score to make it one-one and kind of silence them, it was great. And the next morning, I, I remember the paper saying McMenamin hands Celtic's title. Um, because Celtic then had the opportunity to go and win the league that, that weekend. But it's something that will kind of live with me forever. It was as close as I'll ever get to help Celtic out. The, um, a really proud moment. It was live on the TV. I think it was the Satana days. Um, so, a shame because I've, I've never even seen the goal myself. It's no on YouTube or that. But I've never seen it, but I remember it. Really well, I think David Fernandez slipped a pass inside the two centre halves. One was probably Frank De Boer, <laughs> and I've, I've managed to get it across Stephen Kloss, who was obviously another top goalkeeper. Uh, top goalkeeper. So it's something that will live me forever, and um, something I'm very proud of. Just, just on Celtic. Obviously, see when you're a boyhood fan of a club like Celtic, what's it like when you play against them? Is that the sort of day? whenever you went into any of those games in your career where you think, I need to do everything I can today to, to show them what I can do? Because I know you've joked and said it's the closest you would get to Celtic, but in yeah. your career you just never know. No, I kind of know. You get it that you could be lucky a few times. Oh, I played at Parkhead many a time. Um, obviously with Livingston, Gretna, uh, Ross County, Dundee. And you never, you never really get that moment out of your head. I was very lucky to score. At Parkhead with Dundee, and I remember looking up to the seat that I had with my cousin, and it was obviously a Scottish Cup game, and he wasn't sitting there. 
Um, miserable sod down the way to pay the money because it was their season ticket game. So it's, it's special, and I think I've got my first ever yellow card was against Celtic as well, just out of frustration because never got, I never got a touch of the ball, and I was desperate to get on the ball and try things. And I ended up, I think it was John Kennedy, I just sized down, got my first ever senior booking, and I was like, it was just that I wanted to get on the ball, I wanted to kind of do something at Celtic Park that people would remember. Um, so thankfully I scored after that game and I was going to remember for just having a wee coward challenge and a half feeling. <laughs> In terms of the League Cup success for Livingston, an incredible moment for the club, but for you, you were cup tied because mm-hmm. of your loan spell at Falkirk. How yeah. sweet does that make it for you? It, it, was, um, it was difficult, but I was very lucky to have a really good working staff, obviously Alan Preston, Billy Cutwood were there, the manager Davy Hay included me in everything. So I travelled the day before, I stayed in the team hotel, I went to Hamden, I had the suit, I, I sat beside the bench at Hamden. So I was just delighted for the team to be honest, it was a great day. I was chief bottle opener of the beers in the changing room. Um, and I was just really happy for everybody because we were going through a really tough time at the time with administration and all that goes with it. And it was just a case of, I'm pretty sure we played, well, we played Celtic the following week, the Scottish Cup semi-final. And obviously I was involved in that and managed to score in that. But as a club, it made me feel involved in it all. Obviously as a player, you don't feel involved. Uh, but the fact that I got to experience a lot of um, joy with the players that I was really close with I was very happy for them to be honest One of the interesting uh, other elements of your time at Livingston you agreed to join Shrewsbury just as Paul Lambert's coming into the club describe that yeah. feeling I was, I broke my leg at Livingston I think it was Richard Goss first week in training I broke my leg in training so when I got fit again I, I was in that kind of moment where we, what did I do and I was about to sign for Harps under John Robertson as a manager at the time I was about to sign for Harps and I think Harps beat us midweek at Almondville and uh, Pierce Flynn called off asked for money for me so I chat Richard's golf store the next day saying well what's happening I was he went no you're in my plans and to be fair to Richard Goff I played every game after that till the end of the season but by the time January came and I, had, I was a, I was allowed to speak to other clubs, I was disappointed in Pierce Flynn and not letting me go to Hearts when I had the chance. So the opportunity to go back down south and sign a pre-contact, um, I decided to do that. But I kept it very quiet because we were in a kind of relegation battle. So nobody really knew I'd signed it. So by the time that Richard Goff said he was leaving and Paul Lambert was coming in, I'd already made my decision to move. So I was obviously a bit disappointed. I'd love to have worked with him, but the way things work in football, the opportunity to go back down to England was probably too big at the time. And in terms of Shrewsbury as a club, what was it like when you went down there? Because you, you find your goal scoring form quite quickly. I've, I've done okay. I've done okay. I would like to have done better down there. Um, I don't think people realise the amount of games you play down there. 
your Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday for the full season. You play 40 games, 40 league games, 40 early league games. You've got three cups to play in. It's very difficult and you've got to look after after yourself a wee bit more. But in terms of a club and a town, I absolutely loved every minute of it. Um, I've always said it was probably a mistake to leave at the time that I did. But at that point, when, when that opportunity came up to come back up the road to a team that everybody thought was going to be challenging and going places, it was just too good an opportunity to miss out on. But in hindsight, it was probably the wrong decision because I was doing well at Shrewsbury at the time. So it's, I wouldn't say it's a regret, but it's definitely something when you look in hindsight, I maybe would have thought in a different way. One of the games that's massive for, for Shrewsbury as a club is uh, the games against Wrexham. What was it like playing in those games? <laughs> uh, well, the first one, we beat them at home. I remember beating them at home and then away from home. I think I scored the first. Um, they were 2-0 up. First, it's first half. Second half, it was under a bit of pressure. They scored to make it 2-1. And then, I think, I think well, I say I think, I know. I got sent off with <laughs> 15 minutes to go. And it just got to the point where you were under a bit of pressure. The manager brought me back in the midfield. There was a guy called Mark Dardisher. A very successful career he played with in Turkey, he played with Blackburn in the Premier League. Clear through on goal, and I had to take him down and took him down. And obviously, we went on to win the game 2 1. And it was a huge, I think it was the first time in 50 odd years that we'd done the double over them. It was huge. And I didn't realise the, the enormity of it. But it was the race course ground at Wrexham's amazing. It's a great old fashioned ground. It was a sellout with Shrewsbury fans behind the goals. It was a Sunday because it was bank holiday weekend because it was a derby. And I just remember thinking I was gutted on the bus. The, the local players, Jamie Colley, Joe Hart, Dave Edwards, all Shrewsbury boys saying, you'll be a legend tonight. You're coming out. I saying, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Ah, yeah, you're coming out. I remember going out in Shrewsbury on that Sunday night when we were off on the Monday and I don't think I, I bought a drink. Uh, to score and to get sent off against Wrexham was bigger than anything else that I could have done down there. So um, it definitely has got a lot of good memories down there because I didn't realise how big a derby it was. You mentioned Joe Hart there. What was he like at that time? Because obviously he was young and, and he was establishing himself. Were you shocked that he went on to have the career he did or was that expected given his incredible potential? Oh, listen, I'm not just the only one. If you ask anybody that played with him at that age, we knew he was going to be the top, top right. He was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Now, we played with him when he was 18, 19. But he's not changed one bit. He's the same enthusiastic, hard-working, top-rate goalkeeper. In fact, listen, he's, he's in his 30s and he's at, he's at Spurs now. We all knew at the time, if you ask any of my mates, if you ask Moff, if you ask my, my brother... I'll tell you that I told him when, when he was 19 that he would be the England goalkeeper. He was that good. Um, absolutely phenomenal. But he's totally screwed on. He's not, not much nonsense about him when he comes into the football. The way he's looked after himself, the way that he's not been scared to go abroad. He puts himself under pressure when he was at England. He's won the Premier League. Man of the match, he's against Real Madrid in the Champions League. So we all knew it's no coincidence that he's been as high as he has and he's another one that I think I'm very very 
fortunate to have played alongside. After your, your, your spell down south, you, you returned to Scotland with Gretna. And just sum up the period at the club. You're scoring goals, you win the First Division title, you win the Player of the Year award. What was it like at Gretna at that time? Because obviously, a lot of people, some people are critical with hindsight, some people remember the glory days with hindsight. How do you see it? Uh, listen, I can understand a lot of people being very bitter to it because there's no denying that the Gretna spent money, they, they paid money to get the top players. When I arrived at Gretna, they had Steve Tosh, David Bingham, John O'Neill, Davey Nichols, Alan Main as goalkeeper. All players with not just Premier League experience, but like a lot of games in the Premier League. So when I got there, obviously they spent a lot of money. However, it was very grounded. Like the things that training was very hard and you worked. It was all about working hard. It wasn't so much about their ability. The fact that we worked so hard, the ability shone through at that point. And I remember my first game for Gretna, I was on the bench. I think on the Friday, we played Hamilton on the Saturday, and I think we beat them 6 1. James Grady scored two, and Kenny Duker scored two. And I'm sitting on the bench going, How do I get in this team? This is not going to happen. And I'm like, Oh, this has got to be difficult. And the best thing that happened to me was we played in UEFA Cup on the Thursday night. And I, I wasn't registered in time to play in the UEFA Cup. We lost 5 1 to Derry City. So it meant on the Sunday, because we played on the Thursday, that he made changes. And I was fortunate enough to. We played Clyde, I scored two goals, and I, I kept my place in the team that the whole season after that. And with the players that I played with, it was near impossible not to score goals in that great team. The amount of players that you would have creating and making space and giving you the right pass with the right weight, it was impossible not to score goals because they were that good. And the fact that we ended up winning the league was probably just testament to the amount of good players that Gretna had. Now, obviously, it went a bit wrong with Brooks's health deteriorating, but the fact that we took a team like Gretna to, to play in the Premier League it really is it really is a testament to everybody that was involved regardless of what people think of it no absolutely and, and at the end of the day you get signed by Gretna uh, as a footballer you go in and do your job you win the player of the year award you win the first division title so professionally for you you should see pride in that because at the end of the day if they come in for you you're of course going to join the best team that are that are on offer so with yourself like exactly were you going in every week scoring goals thinking I'm in the form of my career here where I, I, I know I'm going to score if I'm if I'm in the mood today. I, I didn't think like that at all. I, I, I kept thinking if I'm playing with these players they're going to create chances for me. And as a striker I said to a lot of people I was never blessed with any great ability. If you ask anybody that I've played with they'll probably say Colm wasn't the best but he worked, he worked, I worked as hard as I could. I'd never give the center half a minute's peace. I would try I try to be aggressive with him. And I'd always try to be in the box. And I always say that to young strikers now. Work as hard as you can and get in the box. Because if you're playing with good players around you and they put it in the box and you're not there, you're going to get judged on that. So I would go in every week thinking, I'm playing with these players. If I work hard and get myself in the box, they're going to create chances for me. And I was very lucky that I'd have David Graham on one side to a tasty bun that would just get to the byline 
fire it across the box and I'd score for three yards out. Everybody would go, oh, Colin scored again. But then the day I was, I've scored for three yards out just because I'd worked hard to get in the box. And I, th- I think that gets forgotten about the strikers now. I think it's all about how you like the play, how you've got to drop in, you've got to take it in. It, when I played, it was all about just getting the ball, getting it wide, getting the box. And it, it worked out no bad for me at that point because, you said, I, I did. I won the PSA Player of the Year and we won the league and got to the Premier League. So, really good club and a really good time and I enjoyed everyone else. Another massive club you, you join this time is, is Dundee, a, a great club in Scottish football, but you go in there and towards the end it becomes really difficult, not just for you, but for the whole club. And, and I know in the past you've, you've talked about this, and this is a quote from an interview you gave many years ago. I've been through this before, and this one has been the worst in reference to the administration. Just how tough was it? Um, very tough. I remember that interview as well. I got told by Sky Sports as soon as I walked out of Dens Park that day. Um, I left Dens Park that day and there was nine, I think there was nine of us all got made redundant that day. And there was another what, 15, 16 players in the same changing room as all kind of being relieved that they still had a job. They knew they had a job. At the same time, they could see their mates leaving the door. And as we were leaving, there was office staff getting told to leave. It was awful. And I think I heard Big Rab Douglas talking about it. And Big Rab kind of gave up his wages as well at the time. I don't think a lot of people realise that. He decided to play for zero, nothing at all, just to kind of keep the physio in a job. And it was very difficult. And when you look back at the nine players that left, Brian Kerr left at the time he ended up going part time Eric Payton left at the time went part time Paul McHale left at the time good pros ended up going part time it's um, really really difficult and again I was very fortunate that at that point I had a few teams that wanted to sign me after that and I was very lucky that for me I chose the right one Before I I come to Queen of the South and Feel free to to not answer this question, but see when see when you're made redundant as a footballer, what what does what does that mean in reality? Because obviously you you hear on the news a lot of the time that players terminate their deal through sort of mutual termination. When a club's yeah. in administration, is it completely different in the sense that if they want you to go, they can just get rid of you straight away? Yep, that is it. Um, so I th- I'm pretty sure it was a Monday or a Tuesday from. Monday or the Tuesday, you don't get a penny. That's you finished. So, at the end of that month, you've still got your mortgage payments coming out, you've still got your monthly bills coming out. Whereas if you do it with mutual termination, mutual consent, there's usually a kind of compensation package put together. So you've probably got three or four months' money to go and find out. We, the nine years were different. It was gone. You're away. And got the you had to fill in the government form for redundancy. I think it was like it was one week's wage for every year that you'd been at the club. So, and then you had to wait six weeks for that. So, it's a case of, and it'll be this, it's not just football, it'll be a, a case for everybody. If somebody says to somebody tomorrow, right, you're, that's your sack tomorrow, no wages at the end of the month, there'd be a lot of panic by a lot of people. So, it was very difficult. Me and my missus at the time, 
we'd just bought a house. Um, we had a young kid. We'd only been what, one, two year old. So it was very difficult. As I said, I was one of the fortunate ones that had a lot of phone calls at the time. But there was, a, there was certainly a few that were a lot less fortunate than me at the time. Oh, thanks for sharing that Because as I say As a fan I, You hear when teams Go into administration That pl- there's redundancies Happening for players And and obviously We never quite know What that means as fans And I think You opening up about this Has is, is definitely educated me In the sense that A lot of people View football as being This cushy job And everyone's got it Incredibly well But that's not the reality No it's certainly not the reality I can, I can maybe understand it If it's administration If you're a part of the old firm And You've got plenty of money in the bank, but footballers at that kind of level, they live the same as every other people. They, they might have a weird nest egg sitting there in case of a rainy day, but a lot of it's month to month or week to week. Um, we certainly don't make thousands and thousands of pounds playing for Dundee in the first division of the championship, as it's called now. So at that point, it, it can be very difficult. Uh, but as I said, I was very fortunate. I had a decent career. And being a striker that scores a few goals, you always have somebody that will give you a phone call. And within a couple of days of leaving Dundee, I, was, I had five or six different calls to get a goal places. Um, so I, I knew I could sit back and take my time and knowing that there was something out there if I wanted it. But as I said, there was a lot of people that didn't get that opportunity. And, Straight away went to part-time football and had to get a job. So it's, it's certainly not easy, and um, especially at the level that I played it, because we don't make thousands of pounds as people maybe try to make out. <laughs> In terms of Queen of the South, was a big reason for you joining there because of the connection that you had to Dumfries? Uh, I don't know. When I left Dundee, I... I remember Kenny Brannigan phoning me and just saying, why don't you come in and train just to keep yourself ticking over? Because I had offers at the time. So I was like, right, I'll go in. And I didn't want to commit to anything. And I spoke to Kenny and they trained at Glasgow Green at the time. So I went in to train just because I didn't want to get unfit. I didn't want to lose any kind of sharpness. So I went in to train for a few days. And I was like, why don't you play for us on Saturday? Or playing again, I think it was Fall Cup. And I was like, Ugh. he went, no, listen, we're short on players. So I thought, I so I decided to play for him. So it wasn't until that point that the Queen of South fans didn't know I was going to be playing. Then obviously being a Dumfries boy, it kind of grew arms and legs. And Kenny told me, said, listen, I'd love to sign you, but I've got no money. And I was like, no, I appreciate you letting me train and being involved. He went, just, he went, bear with me, don't sign for anybody. I was like, okay. And then I think I scored against Ross County the week after as a trialist again for him. And then it was the Queen of the South fans who I probably didn't have the best relationship with due to my time at Gretna and scoring against them and being a Dumfries boy that plumbed up the money to give to the to give to the football club to sign me. So at that point when that had happened, my affinity with Dumfries and a lot of friends that I've got there I decided to sign for Queen of South and a lot of people will know the I, I went to Queen of South for a lot less than what I was getting offered at two or three other clubs. But it was just something that I thought, no, do you know what, I deserve, they deserve a bit of loyalty from me, considering the loyalty they've showed me. Um, and I still say to this day, it was probably the best five, six months 
in my career I loved every single minute and I've got a great affinity with the South I, I support their kind of supporters clubs and I buy their towels and I do whatever they do to make a bit of money because they, they showed a lot of loyalty to me and in terms of Queen of the South, what's it like playing and scoring goals at Palmerston? Because like Capelo, which we'll come on to later when we talk about Morton, it's a really old-fashioned football ground. It's like a, it's from a bygone era. It's a, it's, but, but I remember Palmerston before the new stand was there as well. Obviously being a Dumfries boy and being there as a 14-year-old kid. I remember the old cowshed on that side. There wasn't even a, a, a stand with a new one there. So I remember it really well and I've sat I've stood in both ends. I've sat in every, probably every seat in that stadium as a kid growing up. Stole footballs from around the back when I was younger when the balls used to come over the fence. And it's, it's brilliant because I know a lot of people that go and support Queens. I know a lot of people that supported me at Queens and started coming to Queens because I was playing. So it was it really was a great privilege. And the fact that my master is two minutes down the road, so she used to be able to walk to Palmerston to watch me. So I was making it easier on her. She's she's followed me to Newcastle, Shrewsbury, Dingwall. She's followed me everywhere. So the fact that I could play two minutes up the road for her was good as well. Uh, it, was, it was a time that you enjoyed that leads you on to, to joining Ross County. And, and that's an experience that, that was very positive for you on the park and, and what you contributed. Mm-hmm. When you look at the Ross County team that you played in when they... When they win the first division, I mean, you, you you're the top scorer for them in the division, nineteen goals in the league, and you win the league by twenty four points. I mean, is that the perfect season in many ways as a player? <laughs> Aye, I, I, especially the fact that the team that finished second was Dundee, um, and there was that kind of moment where that justice that oh. It's not very fair if Dundee go to win the league after getting rid of all these players and then all of a sudden they're out of trouble and they're signing players and you're like, oh yeah, a minute. So the fact that to finish 24 points clear of that team, who were a very good Dundee team, with Gary Harkins and uh, Rab Douglas, and Craig McEwen, Beast Weston, all still, Stephen O'Donnell was still there. They had a very good Dundee team. Um, Somebody said to me as well, we won the league by 24 points and Dundee finished second and they were only 23 points behind the team that finished bottom of the league. Now, you'd probably be better checking that because I don't know how true it is, but Queen South finished bottom of the league that year. Um, yep, you're spot on, that's absolutely true. And Dundee finished 23 points clear of them yep. in second place and we finished 24 points clear of second place. I think that tells you how dominant we were that year. And I remember losing the second go- second game of the season um, against Hamilton. I think it was 5-0 or 5-1. And then we went unbeaten for the rest of the season after that. Just a great bunch of boys with so much belief and so much trust in each other that we just refused to get beat. We, we scored so many late goals. We had so many big characters. And... It's probably it's probably the best season of my career. Just the fact that I scored a lot of goals, and I think I won the Iron Brew, phenomenal player of the year that year, whatever it's called. It was um, a dream season. And the fact that again, after being being part of Gretna, a small provincial club, this was another small provincial club that we've managed to take to the Premier League, and 
it's something that will go down in history that a team like Ross County, who are now becoming an established team, I played a small part in getting them to that kind of level. What was it like living in Dingwall? Because I, I, I've got a decent relationship with Big Yogi and, and I was talking to him last week and he was saying to me that the one thing that's always hard when you're working up there at Inverness or Ross County is attracting players. But we, did that put you off in any way at all or did you just see it as a new opportunity? At that point, um, I was really, really, I keep saying I was fortunate, but I was that Ross County were very, uh, they were desperate to get me. I could have signed for three or four teams at that point. So they, they, they said they would get me a house up there. Um, I would share with Rocco Quinn, who had played with Coon in the South and I was good friends with. Because I still had my missus and my, my, my wee boy down in Glasgow. So it was a case of been up for a few nights a week, training, working hard, and every opportunity to come back down the road, I'd come back down the road to Glasgow. So they were very understanding in the situation I was in. I didn't want to move up there. It was impossible. My, my wee boy was at nursery and my missus at the time. She, my life, she, she had a, a good job and couldn't move. So they were really understanding. Um, and it worked out well. Myself and Rocker would come down on Tuesday nights or we'd come down for on a Friday night for away games and stay down the weekends. And The club were always good with getting the odd Monday off if we needed it to stay down. It's a lovely place in the nest. And obviously I know Yogi really well. I was at Falkirk with him as a, as a young kid. So Yogi knows what it's all about after being up in Inverness. I think you'll find it now it's a lot easier to attract players to Ross County now than it was when he was manager in Inverness because Ross County is a very good club with their own training facilities with a fantastic chairman Maybe if you speak to him in four, five, six weeks' time, he maybe give you a different answer to finding it difficult to get players up there. In terms of yourself when the club's promoted, how did you find it in the in the Premier League? Because in the January, you leave to join uh, Morton, who were flying in the First Division at the time. I, I, I started the season with Ross County with an injury. I had a thigh strain and um, I was taking injections before every game and it was becoming difficult to train, so I was there training the whole week, getting a jag so that I could play. And I think, I think we went the first eight games unbeaten. That was including Celtic. We, we took Celtic, who were champions. We took them for a They scored in the 92nd minute to draw 1 1 up, whereas in Dingwall. So we were doing well. I scored that game, it got called offside. I've seen it before, it's never offside. But we've done really well to start with. But then my injury got a wee bit worse and I came out of the team to kind of try and rest it and then go back in, then dropped out, back in, dropped out. I think I scored the winner against Hibs. We beat them 3-2. Done really well. And then played Celtic at Parkhead. We played really well and we ended up losing the game. And we went to Marbella and I kind of had a wee fallout with, well, turns out it was a big fallout with Derek Adams, the manager at the time. And we just kind of clashed. But we clashed the whole year and a half before that we were just the kind of characters um, that probably myself being a bit naive and having a wee bit too much to say for myself so when we came back to Marbella that January I found myself uh, in a place where it was either sitting 
play with the reserves and the youth team or, or move on. And at the time, Morton were flying high and wanted to take me. I just decided at the time it was time to go. And it was probably a bit naive, but the more I think about it now, it's probably in the wrong. But uh, these things happen in football, so it was just one of those. What was the experience at Morton like? Because as I said, they were flying high at the time and ultimately they don't get promoted and things falter a wee bit and Partick get that momentum back. What was it like in and around the club at that time? It's probably well documented. I I didn't enjoy it at all. Um, I always compared it to everything that we had at Ross County. Um, Ross County, we had our own training facilities. You'd go up to the canteen, you'd have breakfast and lunch together as a team. When I went in Morton, it was night and day. It was like, we didn't have a training pitch really. We'd train here one day, there the next day, here the next day. It was, the professionalism at the time was just night and day. And it really, really got to me. I, I came for a Premier League team that everything was put on for you. Gyms, we had our own gym, our own indoor facility. We had three or four pitches that we could use outside. We went up after it, we'd all have lunch together, we'd go home. I went in Morton and it was just, the professional wasn't the same. Um, at that point, they had some really good players, some really good pros, but my head was there. I think I'd kind of lost the will to be a football player at that point because I, I just couldn't get why Morton couldn't be the same size as Ross County. And it showed on the pitch because if you ask any Morton fan, they'll tell you I was absolutely hopeless. <laughs> and I think I scored three or four goals, but I just wasn't the player that I'd been the, the 18 months before it. And um, it's probably my own fault because I, would be, I couldn't get my head around the fact that Morton, who were probably a bigger, well-supported club than Ross County, couldn't do the things that they did. But it just goes to show the job that Roy McGregor has done at Ross County that has made them the team that they are. And, the people up there that's it's made it so established what was the experience like with the team obviously they no longer exist Celtic Nation because when you look at your record there you, you basically scored a goal every game you were banging them in and it seemed like an interesting project ultimately obviously it doesn't exist anymore but it was an interesting yeah. idea at the time at the time I got, I got a random phone call from the chairman down there um, who had played against it at youth team football under seven teams and all that down in the Carlisle area. And he told me that he had a new manager coming in and they were going to have this project. And the manager turned out to be Mick, Mick Wadsworth. Now Mick was Sir Bobby's assistant at Newcastle. And then I'd obviously worked with him at Shrewsbury. Then I also worked with him at, at Gretna. So I decided at the time that that I'd been offered a contract at Morton, which I basically couldn't have afforded to pay all my bills with what they were offering. They were slashing the money back and I decided to go for it. And I went down there and people probably laughed at me at the time, but see when they look now, it's happening in Scotland now. When you see players going to East Kilbride and Kelty and Darville and Linlisco. It's all happening now. This all happened to me seven years ago. And it's the fact that I got ridiculed for it at the time. And at the moment, it's everybody sees it because it's in Scotland. It's a, an exciting time for Scottish football. 
Mick didn't last very long because of family commitments and Willie McStay became the manager. And I learned so, so much of Willie McStay. He was such a good coach. He brought David Farrell in as his assistant, who I worked with at Dundee. And it was as professional a club as I've been at. You got to travel a lot of the north of England. You'd go for Carlisle, Newcastle, Middlesbrough, Darlington, down towards New- the Manchester area. It was a brilliant time. And we had some really good pros. Like myself, uh, Willie Gibson, who's is still doing well at Queen of the South. Of Peter Murphy, who's now the manager at Annan. Jim Parson, who's had a very good career. We had a lot of good players. Really, a lot of good players. And we finished second that year behind Spennymoor, who are now in the, one of the top leagues trying to fight to get in League 2. So... It goes to show that down there, there's a there's a lot of ambition in those leagues. And then the fact that it came to an end for me is because I, I had to come back up the road and Scott Booth had offered me a, a coaching position at Stenhouse Muir. There was something that really attracted me at my age. We talked about your spell at Stenhouse as the manager. How do you reflect on your, your five years there as a player and getting involved in the coaching? Uh, I loved every minute of it. Like... I've not got a bad word to say about the club. I joined as a player under Scott Booth. At the same time, I became the under-20 coach and took the under-20s and it gave me my first step into coaching. I went and done my coaching badges with Stennis Muir and loved it. Um, and Scott got, got sacked. Um, Brown Ferguson took the job. And obviously with me being a senior pro at the time and being kind of the reserve manager he asked me to come in as first team coach um, so that was something that came very quickly to me so I thought right so I had to give up the under 20s and became first team coach and I just loved working with players and especially young players we had on loan I still speak to a few of them now we've got Paul McMullen at Dundee United we've got Harry Payton and Ollie Shaw at Ross County we've got Gary Oliver who went on to play for Morton and Queen of South and I got to work with all these young players or strikers that I could work with and help. So the fact that I've had a wee stepping stone through it was great. I've been first team coach, captain, manager, reserve coach a team that will, will always be in my heart and it's the one team that I'll, I'll look for their result first after Celtics every week. That just that's incredible, and and as I say, your your warmth of Stenny's always came through from pieces that I've read before, but from speaking to you, it comes through yet again. Last few questions just before I let you go, Colin. Best players you've played with and toughest opponents. I done I done one last week with all time eleven, and I always forget who I put because it, I always forget. I always go, oh, why did I mention him? The, the best player I've played is you've, I've got to say Robert Snodgrass cause, because everything he's done in the game and the fact that he was just a daft wee boy for East End who didn't take things seriously and he'll tell you himself wasn't he professional enough but we could all see his ability the fact that he's, he's pushed himself and worked as hard as he could to get to the level that he's at is incredible this was a boy that upset too many people at Livingston because of his attitude and I don't mean he had a bad attitude, bad attitude he just had a lazy attitude he got put out on loan to Stirling and he was amazing 
and then he, he managed to make himself a first team player at Livingston and he got a move to Leeds and then move on from there his career has been phenomenal and I've played with some top players but the fact that Snoddy's done what he's done from being the wee guy that we all hoped he could be to being one of the top players Scotland's produced in the last 10 years is phenomenal for him In terms of toughest opponents? I was thinking about this today as well because I put when I'd done my old time 11 last week I had Gary Caldwell in it and I don't think Gaz gets the kind of um, exposure that he, he should have got in Scotland he, he was probably he was one of the best centre-halves I've played with but he was probably one of the best I played against as well I remember I trained every day well at Newcastle every single day he came up to Hibs I was at Livingston and you're always taught press press centre-halves press right-backs they're no good enough they'll no deal with it and more often than not, you'd go and press a centre-half or a right-back and they'd kick it out of the park and you'd get a clap for the, flan- the fans because you'd put them under pressure. Guys would chop you inside and drill a pass into the strikers the 50 yards and the ball would then move three inches off the deck and folk would go, call what you did. And I'd be like, oh, that's what I was told to do. Go and press the centre-half, put them under pressure. The guys could make you look stupid. Just, his passing range was phenomenal. He was never panicked. He scored goals for Celtic. He scored goals for Scotland. And the fact that I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves up here, especially when he went on to have an unbelievable career in England as well, I just don't think he gets the credit he, he deserves. He was just really difficult to play against and I never managed to score against him, which really annoys me as well. <laughs> Last one. Um, which coaches would you say had a big impact on you personally in your career? Well, David Irons especially, obviously, when I was at Annan. If it wasn't for David Irons, I would never have had a career in football at all. Just taking me as a young kid and making me believe that I could be better. Um, for him, I went on to Tommy Craig at Newcastle, and if you ask any of the Caldwells, they'll probably tell you as well that Tommy Craig taught you the game. So he did... David Irons made me believe I could be a player. Tommy Craig taught me how to play the game and where to be and how to work and how to press. And Tommy Craig made us do the high press before it was fashionable as a reserve team. And then I was lucky enough after that to work with John Roberts and Alan Preston, which who were both really phenomenal for me and really made me a first-team player. So without the kind of three, four guys... I really couldn't pick one out of the four, but they were the four that made me have a career in the game.